More and more Medicare-eligible individuals are choosing privately administered Medicare Advantage plans over traditional Medicare. Currently, 51% of American seniors are enrolled in an MA plan, and the number of MA enrollees is projected to grow to 62% in 2030, according to KFF. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, October 30th. Thanks so much for joining us. On today's episode, we hear my conversation with Dr. Sachin Jain, CEO of the Long Beach, California-based not-for-profit Medicare Advantage plan provider, Scan Health Plan. During our chat, we talk about Scan's planned merger with Care Oregon, competition in the MA market, and growing tensions between providers and Medicare Advantage plans. Dr. Jain and I spoke earlier this month on the showroom floor at the annual health conference in Las Vegas. Here's our conversation. Dr. Jane, to begin, can you just give our listeners a really brief overview of Scan Health Plan? So, um, contrary to popular belief, Scan is not a radiology company. It's actually an acronym for the Senior Care Action Network, which was founded in 1977 by a group of racially and gender diverse community activists in Long Beach, California, who wanted to challenge the broken status quo of aging uh, in their community. Since that time, SCAN has grown to be a Medicare Advantage plan that spans five states. We have launched four new care delivery divisions, and we also have um, announced our intent to combine with Care Oregon, uh, and we will soon be known together as the HealthRight Group pending regulatory approval. Yeah, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because uh, that uh, merger was announced in, I believe, December of last year, and Care Oregon is a Medicaid-focused payer organization. So can you talk a little bit more about what drew SCAN to Care Oregon and really what the value proposition is of that merger? Look, we're in a David versus Goliath battle in healthcare, um, and it's, you know, SCAN and Care Oregon combined will be an over $7 billion company. So it's funny to call a $7 billion company uh, David, but we're an industry of Goliaths, of literally 100 plus billion dollar companies, um, most of which are for profit, most of which are publicly traded, and most of which put profits before patients. And we think not for profit healthcare is something that is worth fighting for, it's worth sustaining, and we need to get more scale if we're going to sustain ourselves and continue to drive innovation. And so, you know, when we were looking for potential partnerships, um, we found in the folks in Care Oregon kindred spirits. These were people who have, were similarly guided by a sense of purpose, a sense of mission, and very complementary. SCAN is primarily operated in the older adult space. Care Oregon is primarily operated in the Medicaid space. I think it's a natural marriage. Uh, we're going to, I think, operate government programs, plans, and Medicare, Medicaid, duels, and you know, I think we have an opportunity to really provide distinctive service to people who need it. And I want to go back to something that you just mentioned a moment ago, because you said that once this uh, merger is finalized, it'll be a $7 billion company, and that's still small in the market, because even though more than half of eligible seniors are now on a Medicare Advantage plan, the market is really dominated by, you know, companies like United Health Group or Humana. And so, you know, with that level of 
I guess, dominance. What does that signal to you about the market and what maybe needs to change? Yeah, look, great companies, you know, United, Humana, uh, Elevance, uh, Centene, all of them, though, are chartered as publicly traded for-profit companies whose primary stakeholder is the shareholder. And we are not. We are a not-for-profit organization, and our primary stakeholder is the community and making sure we're delivering on community benefit. Now, I don't want to sound overly sanctimonious here. There are plenty of for-profits that do very altruistic things, and there's plenty of not-for-profits that ultimately act like for-profits. So it's not necessarily about your tax status so much as your organizational identity, culture, values. Um, but that is one place where I think we as SCAN and Care Oregon will excel, is that we do, I think, have the right types of values as we enter into this combination together. And how is SCAN in particular looking to be more competitive in the Medicare Advantage space? Well, uh, look, I would say we, um, we are always doing things that I think may not make financial sense, but may make sense for patients. Uh, I think the best example of that is that last year we launched the industry's first LGBTQ plus oriented Medicare Advantage plan. This year we're launching the industry's first women's product. Uh, we launched an Asian-focused product in collaboration with colleagues at um, Apollo Med. We're trying new approaches, different approaches, to address niche populations. I think one of the biggest mythologies we have to fracture is that older adults are a monolith. And I think there are multiple sub-segments of older adults, and we want to be world-class at actually addressing the healthcare needs of those sub-segments. And I think that's been a defining part of our product strategy. And I'm curious with the LGBTQ plan, um, because that was launched last year, um, you know, how many people ultimately signed up for that and how has it been utilized so far for this plan? Here? Yeah, we, I will tell you, we originally estimated, we told our board that we would get maybe 100 or 200 members um, and that that would be a great outcome. We actually had over 600. By the end of this year, we'll have 1,000. We're expanding that product into San Francisco County and a few other counties. We believe that we have tapped into a market need. The population of older adults who self-identify as LGBTQ plus are people who lived you know, their formative years in the shadows. And now they have an opportunity uh, to be visible and to be seen and to be heard by the healthcare system, which is something that for many people has never happened before. We're helping people find primary care doctors and specialists who feel comfortable with and adept at handling the unique healthcare needs of the LGBTQ plus population. We are also, I think, making available drugs that are more commonly used at, on lower tier formularies uh, at lower costs and lower co-pays for patients. So again, you know, small things, but I think big things from a representation perspective. Lots of happy talk these days about DE&I and healthcare, um, you know, oftentimes in the form of press releases and announcements of, of support, virtue signaling. Um, we think the best way to support diverse populations is to actually build products and services that differentially serve them. And I want to talk about drug pricing because obviously we're in this interesting space where through the Inflation Reduction Act, Medicare can now negotiate drug prices. Of course, it has been an interesting thing to watch with, you know, the pharmaceutical companies pushing back and saying that they don't want to necessarily, well, they might not be saying that they don't want to participate, but they are pushing back legally on it. Of course, the 10 pharmaceutical companies and the first 10 drugs that are part of it, they've agreed to do it as this plays out in the courts. But SCAN recently announced, and as you alluded to, that uh, you know select MA plans would 
basically the that beneficiaries on those plans would have access to 13 name brand drugs and six of which are part of the negotiations why did scan really want to do that and what is your long-term goal with that because you're doing it early look at the end of the day we look at you know there there is um there's been a century-long history of tension between the people who pay for healthcare and the people who produce healthcare, and there are dynamics that have existed between you know pharmaceutical manufacturers and managed care companies um, for decades that I think have in some ways kept innovative medicines away from people who should have access to them and I'm one of the few managed care executives who spent several years working in the pharmaceutical industry so I, I can say um, I recognize and as a physician I recognize that there are some drugs that are just better and they should be available to people uh, and if um, my parents were members if they lived in you know our service area they would be members if they if they were members you I would want them to have access to Eliquis, Xarelto, Genuvia you know drugs that are best in class drugs uh, and and they, they should be available at a reasonable price and we're making them available to our members at zero and eleven dollar copays in part because you know, we want to make sure that people have access to the things that we would want them to have access to. Um, again, I think managed care companies get a bad rap because we sometimes put these things in far reach from for patients, and we force patients sometimes to use you know inferior drugs um, to save us cost or to save the members cost. Uh, that's not helping anyone when you have drugs that are you know true category changers. It's much better to be on Zarelto um, than it is to be on or Zarelto or Eliquis than it is to be on Coumadin uh, for a lot of indications. And I think, you know, we, we should recognize that and acknowledge that and make sure that patients and doctors have the ability to make those ty- types of drugs available to, to, to their patients. We've hit on the statistic that more than 50% of seniors have taken advantage of a Medicare Advantage plan. It's increasingly popular. It's expected to continue to grow. However, hospitals and health systems have grown increasingly weary of um, what they allege are issues with some of these plans. Um, you know, really difficult prior authorizations, slow payments, and you know, some medical groups within the hospitals um, have decided to stop taking the plans altogether. What are your thoughts on that? Big, big mistake. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think what that is a reflection of is their inability to transform their business model as opposed to um, anything intrinsically wrong with the program. What I can say is that the business model of Medicare Advantage actually flips on its head the business model of most health systems. Most health systems are, you know, used to living in a fee-for-service world where the dominant, you know, kind of business model was heads and beds. We want to be, we want to be full. We want all of our appointments to be full. We want all of our facilities to be full because we get paid on a fee-for-service basis. Now, in the Medicare Advantage world where you may potentially be at risk for medical expenses, um, what you're trying to do is keep people out of the hospital. And that's a different set of activities altogether. That means you're trying to provide intensive chronic disease management. You're trying to do ER diversions so that patients don't find themselves in the emergency room or with an inpatient hospitalization or an ICU stay. You're trying to literally keep them out of the hospital. And I think medical groups have had a hard time living in these two worlds. And I think it's a failure of leadership, to be really candid with you. Um, I think we should want fewer patients in hospitals. We should want health systems to get smaller and not bigger. Uh, And that would mean that our communities are healthier. It would mean our patients are healthier. And so I think that's the opportunity, the missing opportunity for, um, for for these medical groups that are walking away from MA altogether. You know, it's going to take a 
I think a while for hospitals and health systems to, to really be, you know, fully on, uh, you know, the, the value-based track. I mean, we talk about value-based care all the time, um, but I'm curious if you were to sit down with the executives of, say, major health systems, what would you say, what, what advice would you give them? Candidly, I would say quit, quit BSing because um, they say one thing and they do another. Uh, they simultaneously say they want to win at value-based care, but they simultaneously are trying to kind of keep keep themselves as full as possible. Um, and I think, you know, there's going to be a period of switching and transition. And I think a lot of folks are saying, you know what, I'll let the next generation of people do that. We're going to retire. Um, and so I would say to some of them, just like get out of the way. Uh, because I think, you know, some of what has kept us away from taking advantage of some of the innovations in payment that have happened over the last you know, 10 or 15 years coming out of the ACA, as well as some of the programs that come from national and regional, you know, payers, um, is a lack of leadership, a lack of interest in success and performance in these programs. It's not that you can't succeed in these programs. It's just you have to actually re-engineer your care processes. You have to re-engineer your organizational self-identity. Um, and ha- you have to say, you know, we win when our patients are healthier. Uh, years ago, there was a famous ad that um, Mount Sinai did that I think was brilliant. It was, you know, um, it was something about like we, we win when our beds are empty. Um, and I think that we need more health systems that actually adopt that type of, you know, mindset as it relates to, you know, their own operations and their own payments. Medicare Advantage has been around for a while. It's continuing to grow. What does the future of MA look like to you? Look, it's it's not a perfect program. It's a program that needs you know constant updates and revisions. I think CMS probably needs an identity shift that hasn't fully transpired yet. Um, you know, MA is no longer this cute minority program that it was when I you know was working at CMS in 2010. It's become a majority minority you know program, and I think we have to kind of re-engineer our regulatory infrastructure around it. Um, you know, some of the dynamics around how we do bids, how we set rates, are all tied back to the fee-for-service system. So we need to take a fresh look at all of it, fresh look at risk adjustment, fresh look at the use of prior authorization, marketing practices, distribution practices. Um, but again, I think this program kind of just developed without a lot of scrutiny, without a lot of attention, in part because people have always seen it as this fringish program. And without, without any real you know, kind of warning, it became a much bigger deal than it, than it, anyone expected it to be. And so I think now we have to do the hard work of figuring out how to effectively regulate it so that it is uh, affordable for the country and good for members. That was Dr. Sachin Jain, CEO of Scan Health Plan, a Long Beach, California-based not-for-profit health insurer specializing in Medicare Advantage plans. We spoke in early October at the annual health conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.